four, 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 four. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the EG Part of Thunder with your boy, the young light skin key sweat here with my guy, Ryan McCormick. He is he's entering his 10th season as assistant coach and recruiting coordinator with UMass Dartmouth. Since joining UMass Dartmouth, McCormick has played a pivotal role in recruiting several of the Corsier's key players from around New England, New York, Louisiana, and Florida. In 2021, the Corsier offense was ranked first in Mascot, first in New England, and 26 in the nation in total offense. And in 2022, they were the Mascot champions for the first time in program history. During the regular season, the team possessed the 15th highest powered offense in the nation, averaging 42.1 points per game and had the best defense in Mascot, allowing only 18.8 points per game. They averaged 542 yards a game, second in the nation in total offense, and they end their season the first round against Ithaca College. That is uh, a lot right there, my guy Ryan. So how does it feel to be part and a big part of that turnaround of the UMass Dartmouth football program? I think the biggest thing was we always had great coaches here. It was, you know, every year talk to any coaches at the higher levels, FPS, FCS, and even our level, it's all about the horses. You know, at the end of the day, you know, obviously you have to have good coaches and good infrastructure and good administration, and we do, but the biggest piece is having the right horses and then having the right team chemistry. And so it took time to figure out what that looked like athlete-wise, mentally, physically, emotionally, and then once we started get the right horses in the seats, it started to build. When around what, like, so this is your 10th season coming into it. Around what season do you think you saw that trend around? I seen like in the statistic wise from losses to wins, it was around 2016, 17, where you had that flip. Yeah. So I came in late spring of 14 when I got hired. Um, and we already had a recruiting coordinator in place, but he was kind of on cruise control and kind of semi on his way out. And then, you know, so I, the first year I coached D-line with Coach Faneuil, our DC, and that was a great experience. And then our OC just liked my work ethic and came to me and said, hey, I'd like you to come over to offense. And I did. And so the 15 season was a solid season. I think we were five and five. Um, but we, it was like you could see we're missing pieces of the puzzle. And so I was like, we have good players here, but we're missing like the depth of good players. We had good coaches. And so... It was like it was like it was like building blocks, mm-hmm. and so after that season, the the guy who was the recruiting coordinator then left. He left UMass and moved on to different pastures. And our student assistant coach Robat had left to go to uh, Merrimack. And he was a really good coach and he was a good guy and he's still a close friend of our program. And he so we went to Merrimack and and he was a good resource to kind of pit a pat off of what was out there for talent. And so at that point, I got elevated to the recruiting coordinator. And that's a job I did at Salve eons before. And so I was excited because now I was given a lot of um, autonomy to run recruiting, work very collaboratively with our coordinators, which was great because they're really smart people. And so they said, hey, what, what are you going to bring to the table that's different than the last guy? And I said, well, my experience. And, like, and I'm not, not too proud to like not, if I don't have the answers, go find the answers. I'm really smart people. So, and so that's what I did and then used their resources as well. And so we collaboratively as a team really kind of started to lay the groundwork. We got players like Stephen Gaychuk and he was a hidden gem and, and really was a big time 
steel. Is he from Rhode Island? I'm not He's familiar. from Tiverton, Rhode Island. Tiverton, Rhode Island. Yeah, because that's a big thing I feel like with D3 in the recruiting process, you have to find those gems that are going to, you know, blossom in your program that the, the other schools are going to be like, damn, I miss on that dude. Yeah, so, I mean, he was a kid that was, when he came into high school, he's very athletic, um, a very small high school. You know, Tiverton's not a very big place. And he was very under-recruited because he was lean. He was, you know, not as big as he was at the end of his career size-wise, um, obviously from the work he did. But he was always very, he had the talent. It just, he didn't really, people missed him on the radar. So how, someone like that, um, how do they stand out so, you know, they're unappreciated, especially in a small state of Rhode Island. And back then, that's kind of before, uh, you know, the Quiddy blow up. How, and like, you know, the round, you know, getting eyes on them. How does someone like that, Tiverton, said his frame isn't that big. They have dreams of playing football in college, but, you know, no one's really reaching out to them. You know, someone like a Josh Allen, he no one reached out to him, but he has that frame. Someone like, say even like me or something like that, I'm only 5'7", five, 5'8", five, in the best day. How is someone like that going to reach out to you? Because I know you do have players in your master armament right now who aren't the tallest. So how are they reaching out? How do you see those players even from, you know, from the jump if they're not really being recruited like that? Um, I mean... For me, I do things are different than other people do. Like years ago, coaches would go to a lot of Friday night games. And the trend has become where people are, a lot of guys, the younger guys now in recruiting, coaching, are doing camps. And everybody's doing camps. And they're looking on like Huddle and looking at Twitter. And they, if they saw on Huddle the kid was five foot seven, they'd probably be like, eh, I'll take the kid that's like six feet, right? I would go and see how this kid interacted i would want to see on a friday night game like is this really a competitor you know if he come off the field if he, if he was to get beat does he like have short-term memory and go back out there and dominate so i want to see those little attributes you don't see in just like game film you can see it watching game live and that's just something i was taught by coach cohen liam's father who first guy i played for first guy that hired me and then his dc coach bell arthur bell who's also a really amazing coach they're both in the round football coaches hall of fame you know, so they were both big-time college coaches for me that taught me a lot. So they always were very big on finance. They went to games, and they would look at kids. And this, is what they made, this is how they made Salve in the 90s very good. They would do things people wouldn't do to go look, find hidden gems. And so I took that in my own way and then added the new age stuff of Twitter and Huddle and, like, used it, melded it all together. And the biggest thing they said is build relationships with high school coaches, you know, um, and even places that are really small that might not have a kid for years – but eventually they'll have, it's eventually everybody's going to have a guy. And so I'm looking everywhere. And people say, well, why'd you look at, you know, EWG? Or why would you look at like Tiverton? Or why'd you look at like North Smithfield, Smith, much smaller schools? And I said, well, they may not have a team as good as, or deep as a Henrik in, but they have an individual player. So what's like your schedule? Like say this is football season. This is going to come out a little bit right before the National Signing Day. So what's like your schedule like during the football season or maybe when's your, when's your season start? So you're, saying, you're talking about Friday night lights. Mm-hmm. Are you going to Hendrick again, like a Hendrick game all game? Or are you going there for a quarter? Then you're going to go to EG. Then you're going to LaSalle. So then you go to Saints. It depends on the week and what games, what the matchups are. Cause you're trying to see an individual kid against a good team. See like what they, how they handle that adversity. If the team's like stronger potentially or so I try to, and sometimes I see that kid multiple times, so I'll see parts of games. So I'll try to stack them if I can. So, like, let's say there's a game on Friday at, like, 6 o'clock. I'll hit that 6 o'clock game, and then I'll be there for half an hour, take a bunch of notes, take some videos, look at some things, get as close as I can to the action to, like, try to figure out things. You know, and then I'll hop in the car and I'll head to, you know, another high school I've tiered out. 
I mean, there's been times where we've played at home at like a Saturday, at like four, and that, and so I'm not on campus till like twelve or one, so I'm trying to hit a ten a.m. game that morning, either in Connecticut or because I have Connecticut as well. So, so I'm literally doing game Friday nights, game Saturday morning, and then heading to campus to get ready for our game day visit recruits, and then get them set up with their tours with our tour guides and our players that are out that week with injuries to help out with with the tours of the kids. Gotcha. And then we'll get ready for pregame. They meet us back. The tours bring them back to the stadium for pregame. So you're saying you have Connecticut as well. So you have, <clears throat> so your your states are Connecticut and Rhode Island for recruiting. Connecticut, Rhode Island, Florida, Louisiana. Um, I also have South Carolina, and New York. So we actually break up New York now. Uh, me and our OC, he's kind of dabbling it down into Long Island. I'm taking more Westchester, those areas. So do you have a coach for every state? You might as well for right now. We we're really focusing on New England, New York, New Jersey, PA. Uh, parts of the East Coast and then pocket school areas. You know, you know, we will look in certain prep schools in the Midwest, like Chicago, outside Chicago or like Cali, where we do have some connections already with coaches that we know. You know, um, we try to really focus in New England, New York, New Jersey, PA, and then Florida and, and South. Cause there's a lot of people from New England and New York that have moved to like the coastal area of South Carolina. So there's a lot of people like just south of. Um, you know, south of Myrtle Beach and like Murals Inlet, which is like Georgetown County. So I have connections. They're friends with a bunch of coaches in that that like window of area. So is that like strategic? Like yes. a lot of these people, players, high school athletes, perhaps athletes are not getting offers from the big time schools. So they're kind of left floundering. And that's when you guys come in and get those hidden gems. So it, it depends. So we, we, we'll, it depends on the kid. It depends on the situation. Everything's different. So we can kind of tell if that offer is going to go away. And, and it's nothing the kid does wrong. It's because it's portal. So you know, we'll kind of watch in the in the wings and see how, and we'll we'll spyingly talk to them. And you know, it's very similar to sales; it's touches. So, you know, we'll talk to them, we'll keep in touch with them, and you know, at the same token, if they get that scholarship, I'll be the first person. Hey, congrats, you deserve it. You know, I'm not trying to like have a kid not go D1, but it does happen a lot. And so, you know, everything's D3 football is not. You know, the people that don't know it, they haven't seen it, think it's like the 13th grade high school football. <laughs> And I tell them, no, 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 these are really good players up here, really yeah, good the, kids. The redheaded stepchild, essentially, they think it's like a bad thing to go to D3. Yeah, until they see it in person, and they're like, whoa, I didn't know these kids are that big and that fast. So, Yeah, no, definitely. Um, So you're saying Rhode Island, you got to go to the Hendron Games, LaSalle, you know, the big-time schools in Rhode Island. But you said you had Connecticut, Louisiana, Florida. How are you seeing those kids in person? Are you going to those states as well? So, or? so that's more strategic because, like, we're not, you know, going every Friday night to Florida. Yeah. Um, that's more off-season stuff. Like, Florida has spring ball down there. Unlike high school here in Rhode Island, they have spring ball. Connecticut, actually, they allow spring ball if you back away a couple practices in the fall. Mm. So they allow spring ball in Connecticut based on how you do your practice schedule. So now um, some schools are really having full pad spring ball in Connecticut. That's what's I didn't know that's, yeah, that's awesome. New. It, so it started a couple of years ago. And so um, it gives us the opportunity in like May to go see games or we're not games, but like scrimmages and practices. So, you know, I, I'm connected with the, the ECC league, the FCAC league, <clears throat> really most of the leagues now in Connecticut. So we have 24 Connecticut kids on the roster at UMass. So we, you know, we've done a really good job, especially the last three years in Connecticut. Um, and a lot of Eastern Connecticut kids know a lot of, you know, Southeastern Rhode Island kids, Southwestern Rhode Island kids. So, um, it's not uncommon Rhode Island kid that played FBU in youth or, you know, did AU basketball that also do football and know these Connecticut kids. Yeah. I know that, uh, as you were saying, coach Dunbar was saying, there's a lot of, um, Connecticut and like New Hampshire kids now on the breakthrough team coming because, um, 
yeah, and they're liking what Breakthrough does. And so, yeah, Connecticut is a big thing. And do you think that's the um, has benefited UMass Dartmouth a lot? Because you guys have definitely a lot of Rhode Island and Connecticut kids on opposed to a lot of other schools. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Some schools are, like, backing off for Korean Connecticut, and I don't know why. There's a lot of really good talent there. I mean, you know, and just like there's a lot of really good talent in Rhode Island, I mean, you know, not every kid could play at UMass Dartmouth. It's like not every kid could play at, like, Brown, Bryant, or URI. But, you know, we seem to find a lot of really hidden gems. I mean, you know, we have a kid, Malachi Sameo from EWG, and, you know, if you said somebody, you know, that didn't know that they could have a kid like that, well, where'd that kid come from? Why did you get that kid? He's a really hard worker and really talented. And he was right in the rotation with some of these other guys like Angel making plays and, you know, who would have thought. And certainly, and the kid's a very good football player. And so, like, that's just one example. Um, the younger gay Chuck Matt, he's one of our backup quarterbacks. He's also a starting punter. Very talented kid. And, you know, if it wasn't for having Dante, he'd be a guy, you know, playing there as well. And, and he's good because they push each other and they're great competitors and they're, they're great for each other and they both have amazing abilities. So, you know, like, again, another small school. I mean, we have a lot of kids from all these small as well as kids from Henrik and LaSalle. So, you know, it's people, I say to people, like, listen, obviously Henrik and LaSalle have the deepest of talent. And football is a team game, so you need more guys, obviously. So that helps with winning and, and things of that nature. But, yeah. you know, there are individual players at every school. I and mean, we have a kid from Johnson High School. You know, Zednik, who's a six five and a half, two hundred twenty five pound thoroughbred, wow. and he is very talented. He's a different animal in the field and very hard to cover. But we also have another kid, you know, um, Hunter Remington, who's a great athlete. He played quarterback at Johnston, but he's just a good athlete, and so he plays slot. And he saw he pushed every week as a true freshman to get time. And <clears throat> at the end of the year, he was seeing significant time as a rotator, you know, and on specials. And a kid like that probably wouldn't even be recruited. They would think, well, he's an okay quarterback and just think of him as a quarterback. I watched him on film and watched him live and said, you know what? I bet you this kid would be a great slot. Yeah, I mean, even someone like, uh, shout out to J.P. Mason. I know he mm-hmm. was um, a vital part of your guys' team and I'm not sure if he's a player like that. I'm not sure his recruiting process, but someone like that is a steal and he has helped you guys out a lot as well. Yeah, J.P., when we got when we went after J.P., I, I just loved his like intensity and he was just a... I actually went and saw him play three basketball games in high school oh yeah yeah we said because i want to see him like in different settings and so i'll do that and a lot of college coaches football you know and it's, it's like a power five five-star freak that every guy wants at you know at the top of the echelon you know you don't see that a lot in, in other levels so you know and that sounds like crazy because people say why are you doing that and I, I went and saw him i loved his tenacity playing basketball he was just really aggressive and he wasn't the tallest kid he was probably like five eleven six feet you know, and so that's not big for basketball, but like... Yeah, I wish I had that. <laughs> so he, um, me too. So he, uh, you know, he would like crash the boards and he'd just like die for balls. And he was just like, had endless like drive and energy. I'm like, this kid's awesome. So we brought him in and he came in as a wider initially because he played... Yeah, like slot at Hendy. So he played he played a little bit of D2 at Hendy, spyingly, um, but it was mainly a slot. But they, you know, that span of time at Hendy was, that was some of their better years where they're really dominant, right? And so we brought him in. And he was just behind a kid named Abby Bambos from uh, Mass, who probably should have been an FCS FBS kid. And Abby was really talented. And so it wasn't that JP wasn't good. He was just behind a kid that was a creature. So he was kind of like frustrated because like he was the man at Hendrickson. And he was like, he was thinking about actually transferring. And so about three quarters of the way through the season, our safety towards ACL. And our DC came over to us on offense at the time and said, hey, you think JP would come to defense? I think we could like play him at safety. And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll approach him because, like, yeah, he's really athletic. It's just 
he's buried behind an all-conference freak. Yeah. It's not his fault. I mean, it's just kind of the way it played out. It's kind of like Joe Burrow's at you know, Ohio State. He was behind two dudes. So, yeah. So, you know, Happens we, that we way go sometimes. to JP, and he, like, dug his heels, like, I'm not going to defense, right? And so, and it was funny because I look at him going, well, you could play. He's like, I'm an offensive player. And so, so he stayed in offense rest of the year and obviously didn't play much more. And so he was, during the summer, between freshman and sophomore year, he was thinking about transferring. And, and he didn't. And he gets into camp sophomore year, and like a couple days in, now we don't have a start in safety. And the coach and staff, Clary says, went to him and said, listen, JP, you're going to defense. We're not even like arguing about the same yeah, word. Yeah, you're telling you. So he was know. like still kind of like not really happy. He goes with defense, and within like three days is like lighting the world on fire, right? Getting all that frustration basically, out. Well, basically it was like, you, you look at like what he, how he played basketball in high school, he's this, this aggressive, like no-nonsense guy. He took that mindset to defense, and suddenly he's like having all this success, shocker, shocker. And, like, he makes all-conference that year. That's what's up. That's what's up for <laughs> but GP. Not like, not like I don't mention, like, first team. And so at the end of the year, at the end of the sophomore year, we're like, well, how did it go, JP? He's like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> but better than sitting on the bench, that's yeah. for sure. And so and, and it wasn't because, again, what people don't understand is, like, it wasn't that he wasn't good. That's not the, That wasn't the point. It, it was also somebody, and that's how college is. Sometimes it's somebody just better than you at, at that point in your development. And so in that point forward, JP really, like, took off like a rocket, became a captain, and... And just was like all world. And so, you know, and he had a great career. And, you know, he got to win a New England Bowl as a junior, you know, run up in the conference, win, you know, the conference as a senior, go then to A's, though we lost the number nine team in the country, but that team's only loss was the national champion. So, you know, and they were very good. <laughs> so extremely good. People don't understand how that good that team was. So was someone good. like that, like it's just <clears throat> JP as an example, how he kind of flipped the switch. Does he, like someone like that, What's like their next step after UMass Armament for like, are you guys helping them job wise? You guys helping them? Hey, you guys are trying for the CFL, XFL, so, NFL. What's like someone? So non-football related, we have a really strong, both with the university career development program because we're at UMass. We also have a huge football alumni booster club that is, their sole purpose other than fundraising is honestly jobs. So we get a lot of kids really high end jobs at every place. So like, there's never a kid not getting a good job out of here. So unless they just don't want to. So, and that's very rare. So, you know, he's a good student too. So for him, it's, he's got a lot of different opportunities right now. So for him, our OC had said to him, you know, cause we're real connected to a lot of guys in the league said, you know, if, if that's something you want, we'll try to, we'll get your pro day this spring, you know, try to get you the, the, the regional, the national combine. If not, we can get you some smaller regional combines um, or multiple pro days and, and get you looked at. And so that it's really kind of a, on his side, he's got to decide, you know, very soon, do I want to put the pedal to the metal and really dive into that? Cause that's like a mega day-to-day investment. Um, if he doesn't want to do that, then he can go on to the transitioning to like the job world, so yeah. to speak, or grad school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, we have guys that walk out the door graduation, they already have jobs signed. I mean, that's what happened with Stephen Gage. When he graduated, he had an engineering job in province already. And within four months later, an alumnus from our program that was six years older than him got him almost a six-figure job in Florida doing engineering. That's awesome. Do you think that's something <coughs> you know you guys can use that you guys use for like a factor to you know attract people to UMass Dartmouth as well? Uh, like, I'm not familiar with the recruiting side of it, so I'm not, I, mean, I know I've heard the stories. I'm wearing Utah State sweatshirt because my best friend went to Utah State as linebacker, and um, you know I've been, I've been told plenty of stories where recruiting is the business side of it too which obviously we all know so um you know do you think you guys care a little bit more than other schools about these kids 
you know, well-being after, you know, is it more of like, uh, you know, how I, is I it think, trying to differentiate the business and like the personal side, the relationship side of caring I about think these kids? As you go up every level, obviously across the board, it's more competitive because of the media and because of TV and TV money and all that stuff. So you have to constantly at the FBS level and the FCS level, like there's guys that go seven and three and get fired. Like you think about that's pretty aggressive. And the guys, tough, yeah. guys go nine and two and get fired. And so the problem with that, with the roster at those levels is that you're always trying to get better, which means you might have to out recruit a kid that was your starter last year. And that's tough sledding because you're trying to get better in such a small window of time that that kid might have, the kid that's in the spot at the time might not develop fast enough, get better enough where you need him to be to beat your opponents and get to 10 and 0 or 11 or 12 or 0. So unfortunately that level is such a grind of a business in that sense that if you, if they, their strength conditioning staff and their team as the coaches can't feel they can't get them, that kid to a certain point of development by a certain time frame. They don't have a choice, but they'll get a transfer. And so that this is more accelerated with the port with the portal now because it's rare. It's like open market. It's like shopping on Amazon for recruits. So literally, you know, um, and kids have to understand is like we as society, the win now or go home mentality at such a greatest level, like, People were giving hate to TCU losing to Georgia, and Georgia's an elite program at whole other level. Shout out Xavier Trust. Yeah, Xavier is a great kid. So, you know, so you look at that and go, TCU was a great team all year. They beat Michigan. It's not like they were a horrible team. And now they're calling for their heads. Yeah, and so like, so now think about it. So imagine being that coaching staff at, U, at um, TCU. They're probably like, we got to get like crazy better overnight. And they weren't a bad team that night. They didn't look great, but. Georgia also hit a level of production that was so amazing. And like kudos to that team, the players, the staff, and the whole Georgia community. I mean, you know, I, I've seen Xavier Trust when he's come home. He, he's really good friends with my, my oldest uh, stepdaughter. And like when he was home during COVID for part of the year, you know, they didn't have a basketball hoop and his younger sister plays basketball. We had one, I call it a driveway. I remember like when my kids were using it, it was like a year old. Yeah. And so... His mom had put something on, on social media, and Gina's, you know, good friends with us, and so was Steve. And they were, I was like, yeah, come by the house and grab it. So he, I hadn't seen him in person, you know, in a while, you know, because he was down at Georgia, and, and those FPS kids are down at their schools for long. They, they're not home much. So he came by, and he looked so lean because he had completely redeveloped his body. He almost looked thin, but he was like 330, like a <laughs> thoroughbred. I'm like, oh, my God. They're developing him. Oh, my God. He looked like a huge, like an absolute different animal. And he looked great, and, and he, he just looked so healthy and so good. And I was like, good, good for you, man. Like, and I think he was not healthy when he was coming out of high school. He just looked so different. And it was, like, amazing what they did with this kid. And I was like, well, that's why you're at Georgia. So, and that's why there's Georgia there and TCU. They're calling for heads now. So I guess, like, just back to that original <laughs> question. So, like, you know, talking about coaches getting called for their heads. So that's why you think they're it's all business, business, business. But, like, the TCUs of the so, world, the Georgias, so Alabamas. With the, and with, with the, the way... FBS works and even FCS a little bit. FBS is 85 full scholarships. You either get it or you don't. And it's, you can't manipulate them. They're either fulls or, or you don't get it. So they're always looking for the better shiny toy to get better. And so not that everybody's trying to get better players and, and get better developing roster, but they're trying to like replace kids at that level sometimes. So, <clears throat> you know, they, they, they kind of make it kind of unha unhappy for kids that they're trying to get off the roster because they're trying to replace them. So, they can't, it's hard for them to be loyal to their kids because of how it's all working. 
which is sad, but like just the way that level has become. It's really gotten evolved a lot the last 20, 30 years like that. So if you're a kid, say you're Effie from St. Ray's, and I'm looking at, you know, I'm top recruit. I'm looking at George looking at me. Wake Forest is looking at me. All the top schools you think of, all the Power 5 schools, they're all lying to me, essentially. You think they're all like this. They're all playing the game. They're all trying to convince me to get to their school. Well, it's not lying, but why are these schools just trying to stock up as many kids when they know, deep down aside, Effie from St. Ray's is getting no playing time. They're trying to get me in their roster. So it, so it, it's not even that. So they have to all jockey for the Power 5 kids. So you know, Xavier had, I think, I forget the number. I think it was like 48 or 50-something offers at the end. Because he was that good, he was that big, and and he was I had that all the check the boxes. So everybody wanted him because of like his whole body of work, good family, you know, good everything, good student, good come from good school, had all the check the box. So that kid gets a million offers because everybody wants him, you know, right? So like he's in a different deal than some other kids, and that's why they, he would get the, all those offers because they weren't going to go away. He was he was really in the buyer's market, so to speak. A kid that might be like say six four three ten. Not six seven three thirty three twenty. Well, he doesn't have the check the box with a freakish frame, but a really good frame. So if they find a better shiny toy, and they'll offer, say, for that one lineman spot, let's say they offer forty different kids for that one spot, they're going to rank those kids on the board. Now they're not going to get their number one, number two kid sometimes. That kid might go to Bama or go to LSU or wherever, and so they got to tear them out and figure out, okay, where who's remaining on our board will be the guy we take. That's why they offer so many kids for that one spot because they could lose kids in the process, even Georgia. And so it becomes this like jockeying. And then if a kid gets hurt, a kid messes with his grades a little bit or there's something comes up that's weird, nothing like even criminal, but like something that just doesn't look right, they could slide down their actual fluid recruiting board, so to speak. So that's why they offer so many kids. Now, they also have to be careful. Like, let's say, God forbid... Not Georgia, because they've done such a good job with like how they run business. Let's say it was a school X. And mm-hmm. let's say they control for like a minor recruiting violation. That could get a bunch of those kids at the top of their board and say, I'm not going there. That's true. And they'll fall off that board. And they don't, because so, you're, you're dealing with people all day. So like all it takes is one assistant, one anybody, a secretary, anyone that does anything they're not supposed to do could get them popped for that. And they're all on the hook as a school. So that's also why they offer that many kids because that could happen. It does happen. And so, and sometimes they just make a mistake they don't intend to. So there's a lot of checks, checks and balances now in a lot of these schools that it shouldn't happen. Um, even we have things that are compliance officers. We're very attention detail that stuff. So that's the school side of it. So mm-hmm. talking about that's the business side for the universities. So when does Effie, the four-star recruit, how does he know who to choose, who to trust? It's hard. Where should I go for playing time? Oh, yeah, you're going to play. You know you come here. You're the best in Rhode Island. You're so good. Oh, okay, I'm going to play at so I Georgia. Tell, I take I, it. I tell kids. Don't see playing time. Don't mean to cut you off, Henry. So I tell kids, the more love you get from coaches that really like, you can tell if the guy, you should be able to tell if the guy's being transparent or he's kind of used car salesman. You also can tell by the pattern on their current roster where their kids are coming from, the percentage of kids playing from that area, how much playing time they get. Now, some of that has to do with like how fast their development is. Everybody's development is different. Some people take them two, three years. Some teachers take them two, three weeks and everything in between. So I tell people, your, your timeline is, every timeline is different. It doesn't mean like they like one guy more than others. It's just, just your development timeline. But if you can tell, you can tell also, when you go to a game day visit, what's the interaction with their players? 
with the coaches across the board. You can tell the energy. You can tell the, you know, and I think people can fake it to an extent, but you can tell. And that, and that f- filters into like how hard kids will work for those coaches. Because I tell people all the time, you can't coach people hard if the kids don't realize you really care about them. Yeah. It's the truth. Like you're not going to run through a wall for a coach if the coach is not really a good guy and you don't feel like he cares about you. So like at our place, we, we don't ever try to bring in any kids that can't play for us, for one. A lot of schools call them program kids. Now, we might have a one or two on a roster, but not many. So what we really believe every kid we try to bring in our program can actually eventually in their timeline play for us. It may not be year one, but at some point in their development, they will be the guy. Or at least minimally a rotating like key variable guy playing. And at least specials minimally. So like a lot of programs bring guys that never play there. Like every year, boom, boom, boom. That's just not how we do business at our place. So um, and I think the kids realize that they've been there more than a year. And they're like, wait a minute, they really do care about me. They really want me to be the guy. And then they look back and they understand why we said no to kids they were friends with. And they're like, why don't you recruit Johnny Smith? And we're like, well, Johnny Smith isn't you. And yeah. they see, now they understand once they're with us, when they remember Johnny Smith, like the little things that were good about Johnny Smith, like, oh, well, that's why they didn't recruit him. And so it makes sense in the back end of these kids. Yeah, I mean, it's proven you guys are you know, bringing home championships back to back. But um, does it... My, I, I'm still generally intrigued on this. So, like, why do other programs do that? There's like, say, a D3 program, D1, we know why we're doing it. You kind of went over that previously. <clears throat> but a D3, why are they offering a kid they know deep down inside this kid's never going to play? Some, some private, not all private schools. I went to a private school for college, um, undergrad and grad school. Some private schools, they use bigger teams, rosters for enrollment. You know, some schools will bring 150, 160 kids to camp. And my philosophy is, after 140, you don't need any more kids unless you're a really bad recruiter because here's why. As far as an evaluator, you don't need more than 140 to run your program. Now, you have attrition in D3 because you don't have full athletic scholarships to like basically, not because control is a bad word, but to keep them locked in the whole time because D1s get away with that in the sense that like, if you're giving that kid a full scholarship, he's more likely to stay because unless he's going to transfer to another D1 scholarship because he's getting a full scholarship. So like it's like you're basically paying him to be there. Um, strictly because of football. So our level, there is some attrition, and, and it actually even happens a little bit at the Ivy League. Ivy League is non-scholarship, though it is D1. High, high academics, great players. They're, you know, they are D1 players. But, you know, I've had this conversation with friends of mine at multiple Ivy Leagues, Brown, Yale, you know, Princeton, where they do lose some kids. And the reason they do is they get into school, they have a year of football, and they go, you know what? I'm just going to hang out with my boys and go to school because they can't kick them out. Because <clears throat> that's how Ivy League is, unless they mess up grade-wise or do something illegal, off, you know, school-wise. So they do lose some attrition. In D3, you do lose a little percentage of kids. Because kids get to D3, think they in their minds think, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to play like day one because it's only D3. And they get into camp and go, whoa, there's some really talented, big humans here. So yeah. um, it, it, it's like a culture shock to kids. I think they have a lot of kids have a misconception of what D3 is. So a pocket of those kids, a couple kids a year, every year, no matter what school is in D3, will quit. Now, and it's sad because like they are actually could play there eventually. They just don't, they just get overwhelmed with the fact that I thought it was only going to be this good and it's really like this good. And so it's like, whoa, this is way better, way better than I thought. So that's why a couple kids will quit every year. So you'll lose kids attrition that wise. You know, you'll lose kids to injuries. It happens. College is, is much more intense. Not that high school is not intense because it is, but like the expect, expectation what you're going to do in every single drill is much more higher. So the teams have to bring in numbers. Gotcha. So that's more just like emergency case scenario. Well, no, it's just strictly numbers. Like you could lose three starters and like if it's the same position or like a starting rotator, now your third best kid has to play. If he's not good, 
You better have a fourth and fifth best kid behind him or you're dead. So like, that's why you need that quality depth. Like you really gotcha. do need, you know, and that, for example, at UMass, we have six kids that are always up with the ones in the one room back room. There's always six ones up there. And then the rest of the kids are down at scout. But like one of those kids goes down, we bring a kid up because we really do need that kid to play. Gotcha. So, um, you know, because we're going to have injuries throughout the year. I mean, when we beat Framingham State week three, our two best running backs statistically didn't play in the game. And people were like, how did you beat that team? I said, because we have really good players. Because <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah, so you get... we, we all, are, again, we recruit kids that all can play for us eventually. Gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's different here from the, the coaching side. Obviously, as a player side, you know, players get upset easily. You know, I was told I was going to play here. I don't see playing time until, like, week six. What's going on? And then uh, it's tough to like, trust the coaches because, like you said, you know, it's uh, it's a rotating you know, carousel. My friend from Utah State, same thing happened to him. He came in, got recruited. The coaches that recruited him all got fired. Now he's there. The coach, the new coach doesn't like him. And now he's like, what do I do? Goes in the portal. <laughs> Goes in the portal. Then he takes someone else's position. It's kind of that rotating thing where, like you're saying, the business side of it. And then, you know, coach, like other players who thought they were going to that place. Now what are they doing? It's a crazy uh, college football is definitely a crazy business in itself. I tell people all the time the recruiting process is not linear. It is like up and down, up and down. It's never like it's not as clean as everything. And and even when Xavier's going through the process, I remember talking to his mom and his dad. They were kind of burnt out because they were just going to camps and camps. And those parents were such awesome people for that kid. That kid's lucky. Those parents are great people. So. You know, and, and they did a, those two people did a tremendous job with that kid. So kudos to those people. So literally, they brought that kid to more camps. And they did a good job of listening to the right people, college coaches, recruiting people, um, people that weren't even a deal one that knew how that world was. I was one of the many trillion people they were talking to them off and on. Um, and they really... That kid should give them the biggest gift when he graduates. If, yeah. you know, not, I shouldn't say if he will. I think he will play in the NFL, definitely. Um, you know, I think they both deserve, like, something cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. That's that's um, a big thing, too, with, uh, you know, a lot of these parents and uh, people in their life where uh, they deserve credit because that's, that's a whole lot of work doing um, that college recruiting process. It's a major commitment. And those, those, those two parents are flying all over the country, driving all over the country, I mean, I remember it was like they're on tour like Justin Bieber every week. It was crazy. <laughs> and but like you look and go, that's the process. It's it yeah. you know, and, and they did have a son that had all the check the box and he still had to do that. And I'm like, that's it, it is tough. Is one point one million high school football players play varsity football in the nation. There's only six hundred something college programs, all levels, not including JUCO and NAI. So, I mean, with those two levels as well, it's like eight hundred. That's not many schools. Yeah. And so you know, I think the number was like 70,000 kids play collegiate football levels at 1.1 million kids. That's an elite number. Yeah, elite number. And so someone like that, like how, what's like your message to someone who is, you know, why is a kid go to D3 opposed to a D1, D1AA, D1 school? So, I mean, I if you get a, if you, first of all, you understand D1 when you go to FBS, you're going to be doing 99% of your, your day-to-day for like 50 of the 52 weeks of the year, literally, is going to be school, football, and anything related to football. I mean, those FBS programs, when you play a, a home game, the night before the game, most of those programs have their kids at a hotel, not in the dorm rooms, and they go to a hotel to get away from any other people, 
and they have dinner at the hotel. They stay overnight in the hotel. There's, there's, there's lights out time. They're in meeting rooms and ballrooms, almost like the NFL, because the level of attention detail you need to be good and be ready. You can't have any snafus. That's what they have to do even for home games. And then the way games, obviously the same because they're on the road. So like, understand that like at our level, at least on a Friday night, they get done with like practice a Friday afternoon. They do have some downtime. If they like that kid wants to like go grab a piece of pizza and go to a movie, a seven o'clock movie, they can do that at the FCS level. And especially the FBS level, they are not doing that in season. And so that's a, that's a wake up call to kids to see how much they basically have your life in their hands, you know, their day to day. So that's a Those little kids long. have no, like say like, no, Hey coach, my mom's in town today. I want to go take dinner with them before the game. No, it doesn't work that way. Now they do get some downtime. It's scheduled obviously. And so you see these pictures of kids, you know, with a quick snippet with their parents or siblings and parents and grandparents. And so they do have some very mild, I call it soft downtime, but it's not much. So what would happen though, if I was just like coaching, you know, like, I, I can't, I'm going. I, well, if it depends, if you just like, don't, if that's not a conversation, it's like agreement. And it's gonna be very rare they give you, they, they let you do that. If you just like ghost them and like go AWOL, so to speak, unless you're a starting third year, fourth year player, you're probably out of the program. Really, like on, oh, on the yeah. spot, they'll be like, <laughs> you know. Because they, they can go in that portal immediately and pull a kid out. So, you know, there's a standard of like accountability that's elite. It's, FBS is a job and FCS is like basically like a 99% full-time job. So, you know, there's just like tiers of it. And even, even at D2 and D3, I mean, you get to the programs that are really climbing or elite. I mean, we, we talked to the guys in Mythica, and, and I know some guys, some of these big times with Mehra and Baylor, and they're running like borderline FCS programs, really. You know, so the way that they're day-to-day is, so it, it really is comp- really competitive. So the reason you would go to D3, I think, is one, if you have D1 ability and you decide you want to go D3, it's because you really want to focus more on academics. Now, if you're in a crazy elite academic kid where you're getting straight four O's, AP everything, you know, 1,400 SATs, those are Ivy League kids. So they basically want a borderline D3 kind of lifestyle. And that key, because again, what people don't understand is like, they, no, no, those guys train like D1 and Ivy League. They're, they are D1. But they also have like, it's crazy because they do D1 athletics with like the craziest level of academics. Yeah, I mean, they do have those ballers like the Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world oh, who, yeah. they, who are they, league bound. The Ivy League has, I mean, Brown has multiple kids right now in the NFL and, and very elite. And then one of the D-line that plays and is a key rotator for the Rams is a, is a Brown kid. He's a dude. And um, EJ Perry, it's actually the coach's nephew. He's a freak athlete and a great person. Oh, my God. And so, the you know, they have kids. And Devlin played at Brown, played many years for the Pats as a fullback and kind of had a weird way how he got to the NFL. But was an elite dude in the NFL and yeah. you know and so you know Brown has produced a, a number of NFL athletes year after year, you know every if not every year every other year so they the Ivy League is definitely producing NFL athletes so you know it, what I'm saying is like they're they're juggling the highest level academics which is crazy with the high with almost the highest level of athletics you know I mean as a team you know obviously Brown's not as talented as like an Alabama but also Alabama's not doing you know astro-economics, like, yeah. they're not doing pre-med, pre-law, like every other kid. So it's like, it just, when you think of like what they have to juggle in the Ivy League, it's like mind-blowing. Do you think D3 is used as like a platform as well to get their kids, get their grades up or kind of like a stepping stone between a 
to develop to like a D1 school? <clears throat> I Well, so I, I, I give an example. Like I say, okay, who was one of the best DNs that came out of New England in the NFL last year after the, after the, the fall of 21, the spring of 22? Is that a question to me? Yeah. Um, I, can't, I can't think of so, who you'd be thinking of. I know so, it's not Quiddy is what you're saying to say, but... No, no. So, you know, Quiddy obviously was the year before. He came out. Yeah, yeah I, I can't think of the so last year. A kid, I'm saying a, a kid that played in New England was a New England-based kid that went and got in the NFL. And actually, he's on the active roster. It's a kid from Framingham State. He's a Wareham mascot. The kid's name is Josh. number 49. He is on the active roster right now for the Seahawks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know them. Um, one of my friends was telling me that, uh, yeah, yeah, with my boy uh, Bo. He played with my boy Bo. Shout yeah. out to Bo Framingham. So, and, he, um, so yeah. he was a kid that was, I call it like a late bloomer. He was lean, but he was like really athletic and freakishly put together. And he like worked his tail off. And he was a, he played as a true freshman at Framingham. Was just got better, rapidly better every year. And that Framingham team was really good. That top defense were, in the league, they right? Were, they were the best, one of the best teams in the league. For like 12 years, they won the league 10 times. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure if you know my friend Bo. He was a slot receiver. Yes, I remember him. <laughs> yeah. He's a good player. So, and, uh, so we yeah. had a lot of good battles with them. And so we had beaten them once in 16 in a battle royale game. And then we had a bunch of key injuries. This goes back to the depth thing. And so back then, we only had like 90-something guys in the roster. We realized very quickly like we need more than that. Because we were rolling, we beat them, then we'd have like catastrophic injuries. And the, you know, the second, third kids behind the, the back were like not ready to go. And so... You know, when the back gets stinged, I mean, you rotate a kid in, it was like a cliff. You know, we didn't have the depth. So we learned that from that osmosis in 16. So, you know, that, that kid, Josh, went on to the league and, and went ham and is playing in the league. So, so he was a kid, you know, probably could have been an FBS, FCS kid year two, year three. He had gotten to that development already. But, you know, he just decided to stay for him. He was happy there and doing well. And, you know, I tell people when you leave a school, the problem is you gotta, it's like you're resetting. So... You know, even though a coach tells you to go in the you know back door, you'll put yourself in the portal and go somewhere else. Doesn't mean you're gonna start. Yeah, so like, just we can use them. He's my boy. He's been on the podcast. <coughs> Fighting for the number one spot for guest features on the podcast. My guy Angel Sanchez, all region, all New England. Just using someone like an angel. He's balling out right now. D three school, UMass Dartmouth. What would you say to someone like, even if he wasn't at your school, kind of like him? Would he? If you guys graze up, he's eligible for a D1 transfer. That's like the success, the scary part. Does he go to like a... <clears throat> you know, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you're producing... The NFL wants film, and they want stats, and they want to, like, look at, like, your check the boxes. He is catching football at an elite level. He is producing an elite level. If he goes somewhere else, they run a different offense, even if it's Division One, and they throw the ball less, and they do less things, he doesn't have the same film. So, like, look at the kid Josh. He was their guy at Framingham. Like, when they sent somebody off the edge, they'd walk him up, they'd shift people around, he'd come. So he had more, like, opportunities to have it, that clip on film. Would he have the same opportunities as Division I? I don't know. That's a, that, you're, you're, like, rolling the dice. So there's no guarantees. Now, it could work out. You know, I'm not saying it couldn't, but do they run the exact same system? Are they going to do the exact same, like, play opportunities? Are they going to have the same quarterback connection with him? Like, there's a lot of variables. Are they, they not going to get another transfer from the portal exactly. out of nowhere? And that doesn't mean, like, there's a lot of kids. Like, look at, look at the Joe Burrow situation. He was at D1. He was the three at Ohio State, not getting a sniff. And two years later, he's the Heisman Trophy winner, number one pick in the draft, and lights the world on fire. So, 
the guys at Ohio State didn't think he was the guy. He leaves a D1 program, goes to you know, LSU, who had no quarterback, and suddenly becomes the guy. Haley's Comet. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, but then there's many guys in that scenario that leave like Ohio State from that and go somewhere else and don't ever play. It, yeah, you always hear the the success stories. Don't hear the ones that no one knows about anymore. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot less, a lot more non-success stories <laughs> than like so, the Jalen Hurts of the and world. Sometimes it's not because the kid, it's because the coach likes some other kid, right? Like, so it's like you gotta. I think in recruiting, you gotta you gotta say, do I fit them and do they fit me? Right, that's part of it. I tell people like you, know, you recruit a kid and. You may not like the family because of weird things or like, and so you won't keep recruiting that kid. And people are like, well, you know, why do you deal with the family? Like you're recruiting the whole. I was just about to ask you, you mentioned the family quite a few times. So you're about to say, why is the family such a big aspect in the f- recruiting process? Because we're, we're being tasked to be like their surrogate semi part-time parents, basically. And so the, the parents have to entrust us. And the responsibility, they're, and they're not kids, they're you know, young adults, but we're old, so it's almost yeah, old. the kid. You know, so, like, <clears throat> for us, like, they, the parents and half the kids have to be bought in that we're, like, going to do right by their kid, right? And that's not just playing time. It's, like, the whole wraparound, like, academics, social, emotional, school, like, everything. So, you know, if that parent's going to constantly question, like, you know, I'm thinking, well, how much playing time is it? Like, well, at the end of the day, if we collaboratively work well together... Kids training, developing, we're doing a good job developing them. Then that's going to work itself out as, as it is. Like they're gonna, it's going to become where they play well, and they're going to eventually be the guy. So, so it's a relationship between us and the family, each individual family, individual kid. So that's important because, like at the end of the day, like if they're on the same page with us, we're clever working together. The kid's going to do well academically because we're all on the same page. The kid's going to do well athletically because he's not going to stinking thinking. We're all on the same page, and we have a whole roster of parents and kids that all get it like that. That's magic. Magic. So, yeah, so you have a parent who's just not like that. Non-stop, you're going to stop even communication with this kid. So so it depends on, does the kid realize, and it's sad when this happens because you don't really want this to happen, the kid realizes maybe that parent's being irrational. And I, I am never against a parent, like, being positive and, like, trying to, like, not fight for their kid, but, like, adv- the problem is advocate for their kid. You know, and so the thing I think we do well at our school, and our coordinators are amazing at it, and our head coach is amazing at it, we will always give a kid the check the boxes they have to hit to be the guy in development. This will, you know, all colleges film their practices, but we can really show them, if you hit these check the boxes, you know, it's a wide out. If you master this drill, which means technique with your footwork, master this drill, there's routes on your catching balls, master this drill where you know your concepts and go out there and do it on film and practice, you know, those things add up to like your portfolio to be the guy. <clears throat> now you might be behind something that's a little bit better than you, and that's okay. But we run a tempo offense. We try to run a lot of plays in a game, and the two reasons we want to do it is one because we feel it's an advantage, and two we also do it because we it gives us the ability, as long as you have the depth, to put other guys out there in rotation. Yeah, what we call bites of the apple. Yeah, I went to the whiteout game. And you guys were just nonstop. Yeah, receiver, receiver, switching. Right? So, and it's really crippling when we're going. It's it's pretty elite. So, um, when we say we need like twelve wideouts to play the four wideout spots, we're not lying. Yeah, definitely not. And and thing is, I've seen. It's not the part of the question, but go to your point is 
even Dante's not forcing it to Angel. He's giving it to everybody. He's distributing it to everybody. It's not just the Angel show. It's you guys, so anybody's we, getting. So we we really like. There's times Dante draws like triple coverage, and what happens is they're not properly defending the rest of the guys yeah. schematically. So, and so we tell the guys, listen, you know, our philosophy is, and it sounds very like Game of Thrones ish, but we're like. They're going to choose how they want to die, so to speak, this other team. Yeah. Run, pass, verticals, check downs, you know. So, you know, we really are very strategic with what boxes we get, what coverage we get. So, and Dante's very, very smart. And so, and all the quarterbacks are. All the quarterbacks are in quarterback room, really highly intelligent kids, very athletic kids. Like, they're all, at some point in their career, going to play. And so, again, we're very strategic. We bring in that quarterback room. They're all really talented. There's no, there's no slappy, so to speak. They're really, really you know, it's a very crude thing to say, but it's true. So these guys understand it's like if guys are open, put the ball to where they're supposed to go. Because the fat, because we're going tempo, we're going fast, the defense is like their heads are spinning. Yeah. And the most crippling thing you have is like have a three, four play drive, you move 80 yards in four plays in like a minute and 10 seconds and score. Because that team of DC is going ham on their defense, going, you know, yelling at them, like get scaps out. They're, so they're so like out of it trying to like hang on for dear life. That it gives op- more opportunities to everybody. Yeah, no, There's games that we have three receivers getting 100 yards receiving a piece. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that so, definitely a couple times so this season. So, you know, a lot of teams that don't run tempo, that go slower, that run less plays, that's when their kids have lost staying and thinking because there's only so much opportunity. The way we do business allows more opportunity. Yeah, just to finish off the last question. So, has there been opportunities where, like, well, opportunities, have there been predicaments? Where a kid has been like blackballed because of parents in the recruiting process, in the recruiting process, yeah. Well, we don't, it's not really, I wouldn't call it blackball, we just kind of move on. I mean, we just say, Hey, listen, that's you guys saying, like, you said you know a bunch of coaches, you have a coach oh, network, oh, we're yeah, like, yeah. Hey, Effie's parents, man, they are the worst. Yeah, don't I mean, even talk to this kid, it, it don't waste happens. your time. It happens. I mean, you know, but people, people think like separate teams like hate each other, we hate each other like game week, but like most of the guys, you know. We're all doing the same deal at the end of the day at all the levels. I mean, just it gets harder as you go up the ranks because it's just more stressful. But and it's you got to be more attention to detail because like you're trying to get those top five kids in that position in the country. But like at the end of the day, we're all we're all we're all doing the same deal. It's recruiting, it's marketing, it's it's hosting kids, it's relationships, it's it's designing plays, it's tagging film, it's it's a whole gamut. So for us, it's like we have friends up and down all levels of college football, and so. You know, and, and even our own level. Like, I have friends at half or half the league teams in the league. I have good friends with guys, and and vice versa. And so, you know, we don't. For example, like we don't have phys ed at our school. So I'm not gonna tell a kid to come to school because we don't have phys ed. Like, why, why would I do that? Yeah. So like, if they're like, some kids are like very like we're, we want to just do phys ed. So like, some places you go is obviously in our league Bridgewater. They have phys ed. You know, Springfield is not in our league, but they have phys ed. Rhodey has phys ed. Southern Connecticut, Plymouth State, who's our in our league, has phys ed. So like, we don't have phys ed. But I'm not going to lie to a kid and say, well, we have physics. No, we don't. So they asked me, and I'm very honest, like these are the teams out there that have football, that have physics. Yeah, and then so if there are other coaches' friends, they're like, hey, what do you think about this kid? And you're going to be like, parents, no go, watch out. Or on the flip side of the coin, when that's true with that that scenario where the kid's just got a a lot of bad baggage, we also will be like, hey, this kid's a dude. Like he just wants to do physics. We don't have physics. Like... So we'll say, hey, do you know about this kid? I'm like, oh, no, I didn't know that kid was that good. And vice versa, we have engineering. A lot of schools don't have engineering. So it's a very hard major and a very unique major. So, and some do, but a lot don't. So, like, they'll say, hey, Rye, we got this, you know, guys at Bridgewater, they don't have engineering. I'm like, hey, 
this is like amazing engineering kid. Like, have you seen him? Like, oh yeah, we have. He's, where did you see him? They're like, oh, we saw him at like multiple camps. Uh, so, oh, we weren't at those camps. We were at these camps. And they, he hasn't gone to those camps yet, but they're coming up. So the second and third round of those camps. So we share information. There's a lot of information sharing, a lot of like, and same thing with like coaches. There's, there's good coaches out there that are jump. you know, some guys jump around more than, than others and some guys are bad coaches. And so, you know, you don't want to get a bad egg in your staff and, and you also want good eggs in your staff. Yeah. And they don't leave school. Sometimes they don't leave schools because they want to school. They just, you know what? We're going to move and my wife wants to live in like, I don't know, the Cape. It's close for us. We're like they, or they move, they're living in like Beverly, Mass. They'll coach it like Endicott or, you know, or they just want to, their kid wants to go to Salve and they, Salve might give a deal if you coach there that you get half off tuition. Like that happens. So, and they get and a whole bunch it. of different factors. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. It's not just like they get fired or get hired. Like that's part of it, but there's other factors that affect that. So talking about factors. So what are like top three things players should or shouldn't do during the like recruiting process with coaching or yeah, just the recruiting process in general. Like I tell kids do not bad mouth your high school coach. Like don't like you can say you may not like a certain thing, but like don't like be mega negative. That's just a bad sign. You know, and yeah, for example, so if I'm like, hey, Coach McCormick, yeah, you're just like I would have better film, but my coach just didn't like <clears> me. Like yeah, he, didn't, he didn't put me in good situations. If he did, you know, I would have had a better film. Is that something I, you're talking about right there? Yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's just a bad red flag. You know, number two, it's making excuses why you have bad grades. Now during the COVID process, every had like, there was, every had some percentage of drop off to some percent. Like even it's like from A to an A minus or from like a B to like a D, like that did happen for like a semester. Now, if it continues to happen, then I'm like, well, Johnny, COVID was not as heightened now that was two years ago. So, you know, so like that's an excuse. I'm like, eh, you know, or the, the real bad signs, you see a kid have phys ed class and they're getting D's in phys ed or C's in phys ed. It's like, you didn't dress, which means you were a behavior problem. You can't follow directions. So that's just a bad red flag to us. Um, but in, you know, so those things you shouldn't do. Putting crazy stuff on social media, don't do that. Like, I was just going to say, so, uh, you know, with Coach Dunbar, we had a cool conversation about it. <clears throat> Is, because actually I met thought about Jabur, actually, been popping the name on this podcast so far. He said that don't post your workouts. You know, if you're working out, do it in silence. But he's also a freak athlete. You know, he's elite level. The Rhode Island kids, Connecticut kids, Southern Cal- uh, South Carolina kids you're talking about, do you think these kids should be putting their workouts, filming their workouts? Are you looking at that as like a positive, as a negative? I, I think, you know, so yes and no. You know, when you're younger and you're like a freshman, a lot of freshmen aren't working on hardcore like they should consistently. They might be for a couple months, but you, you should, you know, because it shows you're invested. Um, you know, so that, you know, but like if you're putting on major numbers, like numbers like no one else can do. Yeah. I mean, cause like how many kids can bench 400 pounds in high school? Not many. How many kids can bench a squad over 500 pounds? Now what he's saying is what he's referencing is the work in silencing is part of it, but cause they maybe like you want to go to a, a combine and surprise people like a prospect showcase what you can lift. Like, but like, you know, I guess that's a different angle, but like, if you're lifting with poor technique and not great numbers, eh, you may not want to do that. But they're going to find out anyways eventually because they're, you're going to, they're going to get you on a visit. They're going to get you at a showcase, and then they're going to, the numbers are going to come out in the wash. And now if you don't put up any numbers you know, and you don't have a freak frame, they're not going to touch you. Yeah, how about the kids that are doing ladder drills, but their technique is terrible? That could hurt them, yeah. if anything. Yeah, because like you're doing the wrong stuff. 
Yeah, so I'm done. So that's like the film side of it, but the kids are approaching crazy stuff. They're smoking weed. They're oh, yeah. yeah. Anything illegal, anything like you shouldn't be doing this. Is, it, it basically, here's my thing. I tell people, if you don't want it on a billboard on 95 every day, all day long, then you don't put it on Twitter or social media. As a recruiter, are you actively <laughs> looking at these kids' social medias if they're public? Yeah, I and mean, so um, the recruiting apps are out there. There's an app we use called Front Rush. A lot of the FBIS guys use um, a thing called Arms. Arms is really developed for majorly FBS and, and FCS because of the recruiting rules. There's dead periods at that level, and there's like soft dead periods and then like hard dead periods. So that app for Arms for that level um, is connected to the phone. So when you contact or recruit the app, and you have to, um, it tells you if like it's a dead period and you can't contact them. So it locks down the phone from contacting that kid, which it's a safety mechanism. So which is good. Um, so like people don't know this, but Twitter, there's a way to pull kids' Twitters through the apps, front Russian arms. So we use it to 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 find kids on on Twitter. So we and and, and actually Instagram as well. So that's why the coaches like because it, it's a quick way to find them. <coughs> which their huddle link to their Twitter, which links to you know, and so that's why we we have that. But yeah, putting crazy things on there is not good. So it's, it's pulling all your information. It's pulling all your tweets, all your Instagram posts, oh, yeah. and all that. Oh yeah. yeah. How about even like deleted ones? Because I'm not familiar. It's like that. I mean, the problem is if somebody else tagged you, can find it or find a, a link to it. So it's just and and because when people start liking and commenting, it goes like viral, so to speak. So yeah. So I tell kids like it, it, it's like. You don't really need to do like, it's like it just tells me that that's what you're about. And it's like we again back to the whole thing with time. If you're gonna go FBS FCS and your whole time at that level is like a lot of football, right? In school, and you're not about that. You're about like partying and doing drugs. Like, well, then you're not about football at that high level. So that means you're asking a coach to try to change you and fit their deal. Like, why would they do that when there's 1.1 million kids? That's a good point. How about the kids that just like post like dumb, like weird pictures? Like kids, I see it's even nowadays when kids are just like flip, <coughs> flipping off the camera and stuff like that. It's like, you know, are they being funny or is Well, it now, like, here's the thing. If they're, you know, when we, you know, a lot of schools require you to disclose if you have a criminal offense, thing of that nature. So, like, and that can disqualify you from a, a scholarship at that FCS, FBS level, or even disqualify you from being admitted at a school by like school rules. So, you know, if we see that, then we're going to be like, wait a minute. And that school might start digging deeper and then find something that maybe before they probably wouldn't be able to find. So, you know, so it's just, it just, again, it goes back to character and like perception is reality. So what you put out there, like you could be this like totally like highly academic, kind of like homebody feeling guy. But if you put stuff out there to try to be someone you're not, well, that's what people think you are. They don't know. That's true. So, I mean, I tell people all the time, listen, don't be who you are, you know, and, and, and be strategic about this. Like, you're, again, the day, you know, I, the guy, at, um, Brian's a good guy, Chris Marity, always says you're always interviewing, basically. It's like, think of it like a job interview. So, like, what do you want out there? You want, at the end of the day, the kid, if you want to be at a school, you want to play collegiate football, this, you're, you're and essentially through social media, it's like you're, you're a passive aggressive job interview. So, like, whatever you put on there has got to be good stuff. Yep, you got to be good stuff. Talking about, so that was like a little bit of the negative stuff. Not the negative, but stuff is reality. reality. The bad things where you shouldn't be doing. What should these kids should be doing then on the opposite I mean, spectrum of it? First of all, grades are key. I tell people C's and D's don't get degrees and F's forget about it. Like, 
you know, you can have like one class. If you take like AP calc and you get a, a D or a C minus, like, and that's the only time you ever got a D or C minus. I can kind of envision that because like, it's a hard class. If you get A's and B's and everything else, I could rationalize. That means just it's a hard class and you can struggle with it. It doesn't mean you're like not a good student. A lot of people you know, struggle with AP calculus or AB organic chem. Yeah, I wouldn't blame them. So, but like, and now that's going to hurt a kid going to like Ivy League, obviously, or Patriot League, which is like a Holy Cross's level. But that might not get you disqualified from like a UMass Dartmouth or like a roadie because all your other classes are A's and B's. You know, it's when you see a kid getting like B's in phys ed, which is like still a red flag. You should be getting A's if you're an athlete because it tells me you're not following direction. You're not putting the best foot forward and we want people that are leaders and producers, you know, and then you're getting like a C minus in like algebra one and then getting like a D in algebra two and then getting like a C plus in algebra or geometry. And then you've taken no other hard maths and not gotten a good grade in any hard maths. Then you're getting like C's and D's in English. You know, a D at the college scale when you reconfigure, it's a 1-0. A C minus is a 1-7. A solid C, which is a 73 or higher, is, in our scale is a 2-0. You know, a non-qualifier is under two th- core 2-3. And the core is, you go through the eligibility center to, like, to be um, qualified. This is mainly for D2, D, SPS, and FPS. They require it. D3 doesn't require it, but still... Most schools in D3 have not higher standards than D1, but like a lot of have really high academic standards. You know, a lot of schools at the D1 level, as long as you have over the, the, the as long as you're a qualifier, depending on what the academic requirements are of that school, we'll let a kid in with a 2.5. You know, depends. Depends what major and, and things of that nature. But like, you know, places like Notre Dame, Stanford, they're not. Even Michigan, it's the number one public school in the country. Like, they're not going to let a kid in with a 2.5. You know, if they do, it's like one kid a year for football. So, you know, your grades matter. And what people don't understand is that. You could have an A in phys ed, an A in art, an A in youth and law, a B in all your Englishes, and like C's and D's and everything else, and you're a non-qualifier. Because what they do is they back out your non-core courses, take only your 10 core courses, and reconfigure your GPA in the 10 core courses. Mm. So I tell kids, like, listen, C's and D's are death. So you have to have more A's and B's and C's, and no D's and no F's. If you have a D, they better be mostly A's and B's. Because the numbers won't work out when you, when you reconfigure the core. So a lot of kids do not know that at all. Yeah. And so like, you know, for example, the Interscholastic League allows you to have under 2-0. I'm like, well, that's not good because they're not, a lot of kids aren't going to qualify academically to play collegiate football of any level. You think they should raise it? So it's, it, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine line because the problem is a lot of young freshmen don't realize what bad is sometimes because they're young and they're mature and they, don't, they make mistakes and high school is a whole new level from middle school. So it's hard. So some kids like do make some mistakes and get like a 1-9 or a 2-0 and and then they get maybe like a two, three their sophomore year. But then by the time they figure it out, you got two years of not great grade, and they're trying to like reinvent the wheel in a short span of time. Someone like that, do you think they should go the JUCO prep route, or they should just go to D three? Since you guys, <coughs> can, you guys can kind of take those kids. You said right because to some only- percentage, we you know we can take very few of them. So, um, so for us, like I tell people all the time, you know, at the end of the day, like people will say, well, oh, D three can be expensive because it's not full scholarships like FBS and. And FCS, I say, well, that depends. If you got great grades, you're going to go for very inexpensive. I mean, you know, you're not every time you go for free, but like you're going to go for a very reasonable price. You know, even kids going FCS are paying money. You know, a lot of FCSs, I would say less than half the kids going FCS on scholarship are, playing, are getting a full ride. A, a good chunk of them are getting like for football money. They're probably getting 50% football money and then they're stacking academic or need based on top of it in their package. So there's many, many kids going, say, for example, like a Bryant or Sacred Heart, which is the cost of schools more expensive. 
there's obviously kids on full rides there, but then there's some kids that are paying 20, 30 grand out of pocket after football money and academic money or need based money. So a lot. So like, you know, that same kid sometimes could come to us technically money in my out cheaper. It does happen. But they want to play D1, so they go D1. So and sometimes they don't want to play D1. They say, oh, you know what? I'd like to be able to go have a pizza on a Friday night. <laughs> so, 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 it, yeah, it so depends. why would you go the Juco prep route? Well, the Juco prep route, like, let's say you're a really good student, but you're like borderline Ivy League. So you might go to a prep school for a PG year to um, try to qualify for an Ivy League the next year. So they might, re, you know, they might retake their, now a lot of schools do SAT optional now. But if you want to get an Ivy League, you want to, if you're going to use the SATs, you want to get a crazy good score. So, you might, you might go to prep school and prep one of your classes in prep school is to prep for the SAT to like go from a 1250 to a 1400, let's say. And so that could be the difference of getting in or not getting into an Ivy League. Gotcha. So, so like it's like those little check the boxes. So like that's a reason. Um, prep only replaces one grade now for like for PGing. Now, there's a date your senior year. I think it's, I forget the date. I have to look at the exact date. It changes your year, but it's usually in October. Where if you don't hit the qualifying number for FCS or D2, you can't hit the rest of the year. You're like, it doesn't count. So if they do hit the rest of the year, then they might have to go to prep school to like continue hitting it because they have to wait a year because gotcha. they didn't hit it on that date. There's like a date by the eligibility center. So that's another reason they would do that. But, you know, JUCO is really, um, some kids go JUCO, they just don't get an offer. It's not, sometimes it's not grades. It's just, there's only so many, there's 129 FBS schools, 125 SES, and there's FBS is 85 full scholarships per school. FCS is up to up to equivalency, which means like the, the dollar amount of a full scholarship. 63 of them is the ceiling. Not every league has a ceiling. Some have like 50, some have even less. You know, uh, the Ivy League has none. It's all it's all need-based like D3. Um, the Patriot League, most of the schools have like athletics money now. Uh, Georgetown didn't for a long time. I think they might now. So like all 125 don't have the full 63. So you know, they can cut them up in different denominations. And then you go to D2. D2 has a ceiling of 36, which isn't very many, but then more than half of those programs don't even have the full 36. Like, for example, Southern Connecticut has like 8.5 or 9, I think is the number that the head coach told me. So, you know, nine scholarships divided by 85 kids doesn't go very far. Yeah, I mean, do you think, go back to things players should do, do you think a, a thing players should do is reach out to coaches like, do you like a Josh Allen just mass email coaches that get their name out there? <laughs> I think when they're like going into their junior year, if they've started. So like I tell kids, if you've never played varsity and you've never started, like you can email the schools to get into their like schools database for like admissions, which isn't a bad thing. But like no coach is going to really, unless they've seen you in a camp and they like you. They're not going to listen to our kids who never played varsity because we're trying to get like the elite of the varsity. So you haven't played varsity yet. So that's, that's kind of a weird conversation. I had actually a conversation with somebody with a coach driving up here actually today. So, and he didn't really understand like why do they, why these FBS guys were randomly off for like an eighth grader. And I said, well, cause that eighth grader is built like a giant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's 14 years old and he's six foot five. Like that's not normal. And so, you know, that's like the, the, the anomaly. And so like, you don't want to be the guy that didn't like, find that kid early so to speak so um it's like sales one one you don't want to be late to the party yeah so. actually one person would think about that he left hendrigan to go to school in florida nation montgomery he's kind of like that he went to left hendrigan freshman year and rising sophomore and then got blew up after that camp yeah and he would i think he would have blown up i think he would have blown up, but no matter if he stayed at hendrick or not i think because he you know you know i mean hendrickin does a great job athletically obviously but 
the bigger thing is academically. So like they, you know, they're selling on like a lifestyle as far as like how you're developing as a person. And obviously football's part of it and that helps, you know, but like at the end of the day, like they're developing the well-rounded person, no matter if it's the arts, sciences, and obviously kids also play football. I mean, the Hendricky kids we have are also great people. And, then, and no different than LaSalle. At LaSalle kids, we have a great people. Like, you know, they're both good schools. I mean, yeah. And, that's, and there, there are many public schools that just that do a, a very good job too, and some and some don't. And so, I mean, again, it depends on the climate, depends on the, the school. And so, I mean, obviously, they've had a lot of success at Henrik and LaSalle. And Henrik, in the last, you look, the last 12 years, have won more state titles than LaSalle. They've also been very close games, most of them. Um, so, speaking of Henrik and LaSalle, as a college recruiting coach, I've got to, uh, discussions with people about this before. If you have a kid who is really good at Hendrickson or really good at a public school in Rhode Island, where are you more prone to, like you said, the public schools is bad public schools, but is the kid from Hendrickson going to catch, be on your radar before the kid from a public school? <clears throat> yes and no. I mean, it comes down to the, the school and the, the coaches. So, like, some coaches in public schools are great, great coaches, right? And they market their kids hard. And they do rep by their kids, and they're and they're they're tremendous. And we have great relationships with those coaches. And then some public school coaches are not as attention detail recruiting because their philosophy is they don't really they're there to coach, and and that's okay. And that's just like that's just their 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 ideology. And so I don't hate them for it. It's just that how they're doing business. And so I'll call them and say, hey, who do you have? And and they'll say we have somebody, or we don't have anyone, or, or everything in between. And and I'll look myself, and they might not. And so. But, you know, and then other coaches in public schools are great coaches and they, they're hardcore workers. Like Stanley Dunbar's a great coach. And, you know, the guy who just retired at Portsmouth, you know, Dustin's a great guy. And the guy, you know, Sandy at, at Barrington's a great guy. And, you know, um, and I can rattle off the names. I mean, Mike at, at Central has really produced a lot of players. You know, and, and Coach McCall at Classical has produced a lot of players. And he's produced, like, some great student-athletes. Yeah, Marquis, Bib Cannon over there. And, and Sam Badu. Bad, Sam Badu. Badu. Shout out to Sam Badu. We've had a bunch of them. You know, we don't have any classical kids in Russia this year, um, but we had a last one of our last captains. Two years ago, Sean Real was an unbelievable DN, great student. You know, um, he was a classical kid. We had Gage um, was one of our offensive linemen. He was a classical kid. You know, Gahey was a, was a freshman. He decided to stop playing football because he just realized how good D3 was, and he didn't really want to wait to, to be the guy, but he's a, still a great kid, and... And he and I, I I love the world of them. I wish he had stayed. And some kids just decide, you know, college football is not for them. And so, so I guess my question was the kid going into high school. I'm really good. Should I go to Hendrickson opposed to a classical or a central? Is that really a thing? I think it depends on, you know, it depends on what you like, like because you're going to when you're going to Hendrickson or LaSalle, let's say, it's a Catholic school. So like, do you want a Catholic curriculum, right? So, like, because they are going to teach Catholicism, they're going to teach theology classes, and and that's kind of like their ideology, like, that's what they do. So, do you want that? And some kids want that, and some kids don't. Like, the quarterback that went and played at Duke, he, I don't, I think he was Jewish, and um, he went to classical, because a good, great public school, good coach, good situation, he got to Duke. So, like, I think it really depends on every kid's individual situation, right? Like, we, my middle daughter... She's my stepdaughter. She's still my daughter. Me and my wife's middle daughter. She's a really good women's ice hockey player. And she was thinking about, like, you know, obviously Henrik doesn't have any females there, so that doesn't count. Um, we said, hey, would you want to go to LaSalle? We offered her whatever she wanted to do in high school. You know, we, gave, we, we didn't force her either way. In prep school, LaSalle, Bayview, public, you know. And so 
there was a pathways program at Pano. Well, I'm thinking like Pano, like we live in West Florida. <laughs> like what the heck? Yeah. And so, so just a random, she came up with not even us. And so there was a business program. She wanted to do a Pano. And so I said, well, Kelsey, you really want to go to Pano? And so she, <laughs> and so it was like, nothing against Pano. She's just, that's what she told yeah. So we didn't even, I said, as long as it, my biggest thing wasn't even the athletics. It was about school. I said, I don't care if you go to like Europe and <laughs> for school. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, like you got to go to a good school, get a good education, have a good environment. And so she chose there. And so like, you know, she toured LaSalle and she liked LaSalle. And you know, the thing is she didn't like the uniform. She doesn't wear skirts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> She's like, nope. It was like so weird. I was like, really? And so, um, in a beautiful place. And I like, I like LaSalle and I like, I mean, they had a girls program. I like LaHendrickin, but they, it's all boys. So, yeah. Um, so like at the end of the day, it's really, I guess, you know, and you see what like, like Central's got cool alternate uniforms and Mike has a great relationship with those kids and fire and the kids love it. Right. So like, I think it really fits like what that end of really like, I think kids are just, it comes down to the kid. Right. And it's cause I, I remember hearing people when a lot of kids are going to Central, why would they go there? I'm like, cause they feel like that's their fit. They're fit for sure. And at hundred percent, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying for like. I guess I'm talking about the top level athlete. I'm going to get a D1 scholarship. Is it really going to affect <coughs> you? Is it really going to affect that player? Just he's the most known player out of Rhode since, you know, for a while. Quiddy. If Quiddy went to Shea or Tolman, would he still have gone to the Michigan level if he didn't go to Hendrickin? Or I, is like I, Hendrickin the spot to go to if you're I, trying to get recruited? I think it depends on the kid. You know, I mean, nothing, I mean, Hendrickin does a very good job marking their kids to colleges. Keith does a great job. Him and his dad are good. You know, Buddy's kind of like behind the scenes, like they're, they're un, uh, unsaid DFO, so to speak. Yeah. And they're great people. Those guys are great. And I, I think they all, I think they all, there's a lot of really good coaches in Rhode Island. And I think the schools have to give them more. I, I've said this across the board. I've been around the country recruiting. I've, I've been to other states. And, and I said, you know, it's hard when you like live in this bubble and you don't go to other, like I have the luxury to go see different Schools down in Florida, Louisiana. I do go down there in pockets. And no, obviously, I spend most of my time around in Connecticut and a little bit of Mass. But I, in, in Jersey, New York, a little bit. You know, I, I get to see how everybody does business. It's kind of interesting. So, you know, I, I say we, as a, as a state, and I'm a Rhode Island guy, so I love Rhode Island kids and I love, I love Rhode Island people. We got to realize, like, we got to start evolving a little bit more. And so that's tough when, like, no one likes change. Like, and I'm, I'm included. I was not a big Twitter guy. And all the young coaches, like, you got to be on Twitter coach. And so when, now I'm on Twitter and I love it. But, like, you know, I was not a big Twitter guy. At first, not, like, whoa. I was like, when am I going to tweet, like, I'm going to the bathroom? <laughs> like, so, I mean, I think, it, it, you know, I think everybody says, like, like coaching stipends, right? And no one's going to make millions off of coaching high school football. That's not real. But, like, they spend a lot more time than people realize to do what they need to do to do business. These guys work a lot of hours, these high school coaches. And these people don't realize what they actually do. I would love to do like a last chance you version of a day-to-day high school football schedule year round. Yeah. I think it would blow the people's minds here in New England, especially right. hundred percent. So um, I think, you know, cause eons ago when I was playing high school ball and dinosaurs were walking the earth, <laughs> um, most of the coaches, I would say more than 67% were either administrators or teachers in the building. And so the reason they had a stipend of coach was like, it was an add on. They already had a full-time salary and job, technically. And so they would weave into their football stuff into the day. You wind the clocks forward, and there's a lot more guys 
they're actually not teachers in the building being coaches. They, they may be teachers somewhere else, but not in the actual building their, their, their kids are in, right? So now they have to do more than the guy that was like a teacher in the building 20 years, 30 years ago, because they're not in the building. And back then, a lot of their staff was in the building too. So it wasn't just that one guy, it was like their whole staff. So, you know, I think back when I played at Westerly, our head coaches then, they're all in the building. Half the assistants were all in the building. So, and the rest that were in the building were very well-to-do business owners. They were older, were established, that had the financial flexibility to do football at high school as if, almost like they were full-time. And that's very rare now. So, you know, um, you know, to make it long story short, you know, I've heard these numbers from around like 3,400 for head coach or like 5,000 head coach. If you do the number of hours, not even the weightlifting, not like the off-season stuff, just practice, film, locker room management, and game day, and travel for game day, you're going to far exceed minimum wage. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, so like at the end of the day, like everybody's like, oh, no, don't say that. Like, it's just the truth. It's numbers. So if you want to get better, like this is a philosophy I learned from a lot of really smart coaches. It's, a, it's this phrase of either getting better or getting worse. You're never the same, right? So you're always trying to like do self-scout yourself, what you're doing to be better and then like doing it. And so a good people in business, good people in like anything, athletics, coaching, you're always trying to do it. Like you hear Brady say, I got to get 1%, 1% better every day. And that means like everything. Like if you look at what you did last year, you, you should always spend a little bit more. Not that you want to be spending money here and there and everywhere, but like there should be a build out you know, steps forward, never backwards. So, and that's in every facet from coaches ability to players ability to infrastructure, to pay, to getting more people that are not coaches to help out to like, you name it. If you have that build on every, if you take a step forward in every phase of that program, how much better they going to be? Yeah. yeah and, and so sure, like so. you look at like, so here's my example. Like, okay, what's, what's the deal with the privates? And so everybody says, well, they have more money. Hmm, yes and no. I mean, so, this, the, this, the cities and towns are on fixed budgets because of like tax money. So they do have some ability to bring in some revenue outside of it with fundraising. But, you know, look at Henrikin. If you saw Henrikin 20 some years ago, they didn't have field turf. They didn't have a video board. They didn't have all that stuff. And now they have a video board in the end zone and they have field turf and they have food trucks or games. <laughs> and yeah. same with LaSalle. They, LaSalle's setup is way different now. They built a brand new weight room, new field. Like, First of all, it was nice when I was in high school and it got better since yeah, I was in high school. So, so you look at that and go, how many towns and cities in Rhode Island have that somewhat percentage of transformation? How many? A couple, not many. NK, handful. East Greenwich, they both have all new stuff. Um, so when you look at it and you go, you now Wesley redid their stands and their press box, but not the field. You know, you look at it and go, number one, it's business. You got to keep up with the Joneses. So that's a, you know that's the thing. Like, I think people have to realize like. We have to, invest, and, and when I bring this up, they, I get the pushback is like, well, we can't take money away from like teachers in English class. I'm like, I didn't say that. I'm saying is we as a society, I like, I don't, like my daughter goes to Pano. I will never, and then my dad was the same way. My dad didn't have any kids in Wesley for like 20 something years. And my dad, before he passed away, always voted for stuff for the schools because he, he got it. He played college athletics. He was on the scholarship playing basketball in college. Uncle Mike played at BC. My two cousins, one played at Notre Dame, one played at Syracuse. They both played in the NFL after. I did not get their height, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but like literally, they understood the value of education, the value of like infrastructure for kids and schools and teachers. 
you know, I think it's sad as a society and it's tough because I know tax money doesn't go as far. Um, Education is important and, and, and facilities and it's the broken window theory. You learn it. And I, I get my bachelor's and master's in criminal justice and it's a broken window theory. If things are broken, people don't really value it anymore. And so, you know, and that it trickles down to like apathy and how people act. So it's very important as a society, the public, even if your kids aren't in school there anymore, support your schools. You know, really, sure. in your voting, in your, your tax dollars, it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, that's why down south, I mean, the public schools are better than the <coughs> private school, better than the private schools a lot of these times mm -hmm. because, you know, like Dunbar said, like you're saying right now, the infrastructure for we're not high school football just isn't there. So basically, what you're saying is like if those are the if they are the top tier talent, the infrastructure does need to be better for public schools to make it to the next level. It so, helps. you, you know, there's the outliers right now and then from public schools, but, you know, that's why these kids are picking Hendrick and LaSalle to get recruited. That's when their mindset. So, I they mean, think football's in their mind. That's why these kids are going to Hendrick and LaSalle because they're thinking the only way to get out of Rhode Island is to go to Henry or LaSalle. And, and that's and that's not 100% true. I mean, it definitely... They have they have a bigger they've had they've had a Hickory's had a bigger volume of kids going on, but they're individual kids. Like there was a kid that played at um, at Shea, who went and played at Duquesne, who was in the league with the Pittsburgh Steelers, DeBrito, and so he got caught, but he was really close to making. He was in the last round of cuts, and he's still trying. To, I think he's still trying to get back to the league. It's hard to be in the league. And so, you know, it has to do with like health and a million factors. You can have one pull and really be an NFL player, but then not make it because you you can't show out further during camp, you know, and then you get caught. So, like, that's why people want to be a first-round draft pick because there's, there's protections in the collective bargaining agreement for those draft picks to not get cut unless you hit negative check the boxes. And there's more, there's lesser protections in the second round and so on and so forth. So, that's the, other than money, that's a real reason they want to be drafted in those first two rounds. So, what I'm saying is, like, how many kids from Henrik was in the last cut with the Steelers? Yeah. Other than Quiddy Pay making in the last couple of years, no one else right now. You know, I feel that the trust kid within the next two years definitely will probably be there. I'd be shocked if he wasn't because he's got a lot to check the boxes. And he's he's developed so rapidly. You know, his his game from high school to now in Georgia is so amazingly his transformation yeah. is, is amazing. So like obviously they had elite coaches, but he's a really put together kid. And so Kudos to mom and dad. Kudos to the Georgia coach. Kudos to even the Hennigan guys. So, you know, uh, he's got the frame. He's got a lot of the check the box to be an NFL starting lineman. So, and he proved it last, you know, Monday night. So, and he still has eligibility technically. So you got to, to go boiling it all down to really kind of all depends on the player. The player, how much yeah, they I mean, put into it. I mean, some kids might high be school like, factoring. Some like, kids go to Hendrickson and they may not fit, and that's okay. There's a lot of kids that go to UMass Dartmouth and don't fit. It happens, and so. It's nothing against the publics or the privates. It's just, what's your fit, one? And the other thing I say, well, listen, I say to a lot of people, I say, listen, if our place was a dump, people wouldn't even look at our place. That's at the true. end of the day, you're selling your, because of like pathways and because of like, you know, there's a lot of push at the, at the, in, the, in the conservative world to go to like vouchers. And that's not, hasn't happened here in Rhode Island, but in other parts of the country, you hear these stories. And so, and there's pros and cons of that. Trust me, there's a little, it's not a perfect science. And so it's like, would you want that world? I don't know. So, um, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there should be a certain standard of, there's a standard of like what you have to give a kid for academic like classes and teaching and things of that nature. But there should be an overall wraparound of, 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 of standard that's better than the, whatever the basement is allegedly 
of what these schools physically should look like. Yeah. <clears throat> I know there's like a minimum like you can have for like the max amount of kids you can have in a class and all that jazz, but I'm saying deeper like facilities, you know, they were looking at, I remember when the COVID thing hit and they were looking at like filter, air filtration system in schools, the number of schools that failed and ran were like astronomical. And like, you think of it like, I remember as a kid, I was thinking back and, you know, Wesley High School, very few parts of the school had AC. When I got to college at Salve, for example, all the classrooms had AC. Let me tell you, I was way more focused in AC classrooms with 90 out than it was in Wesley High School. Oh, for sure. And so a lot of these schools are looking at that stuff now going, wait a minute. If you have like, if you have a trigger where if you get hot, like really heated, so to speak, from the heat, and that kid like has a bad day at the office, he might not have a good day in the classroom. Yeah, no, for sure. And so like that could affect classroom management and, and, and behavior issues. And so there's something to be said about the facility and the infrastructure to affect the classroom production. And so, you know, and then the kids want to be there. Kids want to go to a nice place for school. Yeah. I would love to see the before and after numbers of like, say, East Province High School, the old high school, new high school, or what they're going to build in Pawtucket. I'm very intrigued on that. That would be a very interesting, like scientific, like analysis. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like what's your day-to-day attendance percentage rate? What's your like quality of like behavior issues? What's like all that stuff? School pride. Yeah, because uh, Pawtucket is definitely getting a real upgrade with that. Yeah. And um, so I know one question I've been asked before. So players should be reaching out to coaches. Yeah, I tell players you should always have your most up-to-date transcript handy because I'm going to ask for that all the time. Always have your highlight film ready to go. If you're a varsity player, if you're varsity, if player. you're going through your junior playing varsity, you have varsity T, reach out. Transcripts, film. <coughs> Yeah. How long should like your film highlight be? Should it like it's for a certain um, time or so it should be between three to five minutes. And I tell people the first five to ten plays should be the most pop plays where you like people go, whoa, it like jumps off the, the paper, so to speak. I don't want to see a play of you like getting a regular everyday tackle and play one through five because I'm like, okay, well, where's the excitement here? Are you you're gonna stop immediately next Well, one? I mean, you know, if he's got crazy numbers to go with, I'm like, okay, let's look more. But like you know, and numbers can be skewed. A lot of guys just like throw numbers, and I, I feel like some of these max press numbers, I've, I've seen them where like, oh, Johnny has two thousand yards rushing, and I look and they're like three and seven. I'm going, how? <laughs> yeah, that that wouldn't make sense for sure. Math and, doesn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what when they're reaching out, how are they composing the message and their like, their grammar is that key as well? Well, I mean, you, I mean, when you, when you're, if you're like, if you're the kid's driving, he's doing voice to talk that can mess it up. So like if one text message is kind of weird, I don't get too upset, but when it's like four or five, then I'll just ask him, Hey, Hey, you know, we have Bluetooth now. Do you like that text to talk stuff? Yeah. Coach. Cause I can't. And then, so I'm like, okay, well I get that's, that's not him. That's the text to talk. Message. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if he's, I'm like, Hey, are you at home? Yeah. And I'm just, he's, I'm just texting your coach. I'm like, okay, well. You need to work on this English stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So would, that, would that deter you away from... It could. It won't totally turn me off, but it could be like, okay, like, what does English crosses look like? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, um, but like, if his English grades, like, lights out good, then I'm like, well, then maybe he just does this, like, weird, like, shorthand texting, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but it would be preferred to be professional as yeah, possibly you, can. Yeah, you want a kid to be very presentable. I mean, that's, like, a, the ideal. Gotcha. You know, for sure. I mean... Um, kind of wrapping up with this podcast what should we expect from ryan Com- well coach mccormick in 2023 <clears throat> and umass dartmouth upcoming season 
I mean, we're we're and we're gonna, our players to look out for as well. I mean, obviously, we're 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 looking. You know, and on a roster, we have you know thirty five Rhode Islanders. We will probably have close to low forties next year on the roster, roughly, because um, you know some kids are going to graduate and a couple of kids have you know kind of moved on from the program, which happens. It happens in every program, um, but you know for the most part we're keeping a nucleus of Rhode Island kids, and so you'll see a lot of Rhode Island kids you know out there playing and. You'll see, obviously, a lot of Connecticut. We have two really good Florida kids. We have an awesome Louisiana kid. Um, you know, and we have a, you know, a really good young Maine defensive lineman. You know, we have a couple of New Hampshire kids. Like, and obviously, Matt, we have a lot of mascots wearing masks. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're going to probably be the most energetic team you've ever seen. And, and uh, we're very exciting what we do on offense and defense. And I think, you know, we, I think we're very transparent. I mean, I am who I am. I'm not any different home or away. <laughs> you know, I mean, sure. you know, people don't understand, like, the reason I can do what I do is like my whole family is is all in. My my oldest daughters are filmer. At oh, nice. Yeah, so she she's one of our top filmers, and then uh, my wife's all in. So like we built during COVID, we built a thirty thousand dollar football office in my basement. Oh wow! So people see it online, they think it's actually like a professional office. They don't realize it's in my house. <laughs> so it, it, what happened was during COVID, and she was the one that said we we're doing this, which was kind of crazy. It wasn't even me. She was like, I was like working from home on my kitchen table. You know, I didn't have an office then in the house. And so we were like not really allowed on campus. In the beginning, it was like really they sent all the kids home. It was really weird. And so, you know, the kitchen table became pretty brutal. At one point in my dining room, I had like whiteboards in the walls. (laughs) But my like like functional recruiting board with like little little, um, magnets of guys' names by position. And and finally, it wasn't even like, my wife wasn't mad about it. She was like, yeah, this isn't very functional. I'm like, like, what, what do you mean? She's like, we need like, you need a better space. And so the next thing you know, she found like some D1 guy who had like a football, I don't know if it was like Nick Saber or somebody, somebody big time. And so she's just like, the interest rates are really low to refinance your houses. And we have really good credit and we've lived in our house forever. And so, so she was like, she like designed it. That's cool. So she like, and literally, like so imagine your wife going, you know, everybody, everybody else says to us, we're crazy. And so my wife's like, we're, we're going to build a football office. I'm like, stop it. And so she's like, no, no, I have a design. And you're like, I love you even more now. So like, so like, so, and she loves it. She's like, it, it's like literally a, it's a real football office. You know, our, our, our 80 inch flat screen in the, in the film room side, we can simulcast from our, our laptops. Nice. It's, it's got a, a six foot by four foot, like huge desk. So you're, you're all in for this, this oh, year yeah. going forward. So, so, but we built that in 2020. So that was like a big ramp up because like, it's got, it's all soundproofed. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, I have another, um, board that has electronic that can connect our front rush to and stuff and i can like it's a big thing so we can have people over and like watch it and stuff and look that's at cool it. so we so we were able to do like crazy football all the time you know i was doing like you know, webcam meetings with recruits i was you know using google meets and zoom and all that stuff all in all in for so, so that was a big help i'll be honest because people thought we were nuts so i mean it's showing it's proven in the pudding i mean you guys back-to-back champions like I said before, well, any expectations for the season? Like, what's your thoughts now so, coming so, off the 2022 Mascot know, Champions? We always say, and our OC's really, like, he's really, like, attuned to, like, personal development and the stuff with our kids. He's really great coach. He's brilliant. Josh is brilliant. So he's, like, he said to the guys, he's, like, every year is different. He's, like, we could be, world be as year before. If we don't take a step forward, people are going to catch you. So and it's back to that mentality, either getting better or getting worse. So we, and the kids have really lived this. So they, and they were the ones that went from year one to year two to really ramp it up. 
know, we obviously had more players come in that were very good, like Angel Sanchez and and kids like that. And we have a, a kid that, that his nickname is Smoke. It's funny. He's really fast. He's Dean Hassan from yeah, Providence. He, he was on too. He's uh, a great edge rusher, and Hassan's a great kid. It's another great story where he, you know, his fit was us, and and our fit was him. And so it, he loves it here, and we love him. And you know, he had a great first year with us, and he was a great upgrade to add to the the pass rush room and go get those quarterbacks and hunt them down. And, and so, and, and, and kids like that. And then we had CJ Waite, Jacob Gibbons, like a lot of great kids came in from par, all parts of Rhode Island. So, and they bought into, we have this, our mentality we call win the rep. And it means, you know, everything you do, you're going to win those individual reps. And if you do that, it's going to add up to success. And the kids have really lived it and raised the bar. And so ROC always says, you got to be more player, you know, obviously your co- your coaches are driving you and, and giving the parameters of what we would need to go. But teams are pl- more player driven and player like accountability is what wins. I would definitely agree with so, that. So, you know, we, our kids have a lot of like buy into what we do. Like we, we really look at our, our players' abilities and more for offense and defense year to year to who we have and who our opponents are and what our skill sets are. And, and the coordinators are, I mean, even, you know, our also special teams coordinator, Ryan Struthers, does a great job. You know, Steve Fanos are DC and Josh OC and, our head coach is great. They just, we have all been offered jobs to leave and we don't leave. And the reason we don't leave is because it's a tight knit family of great kids, great coaches. We're all like, people probably think we're nuts. We're all on the same page. And, and it's like one big family and we all get it. And sometimes that means more than uh, money. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I had this conversation. My buddy was at, um, he was at UConn at the time and now he's at Rutgers and Eddie Allen. He's a great coach, a special teams guy. And he said, Ryan, I'm going to tell you something. Money doesn't matter. Level doesn't matter. If you're in a good situation, it's gold. Yeah. If you have a good relationship with your coaches, you all, because we all, you're all going to work hard. No matter where you go, college football is a grind. And so no matter what level it is, it, it's just work. And it's not easy. It's, and it's tough on people's families and tough on people's wives. And, and, you know, you miss a lot of like milestones because you have to do certain things. I'm just blessed that the family structure, my kids, my wife, that the, and my, and my, you know, my, my parents at the time, now my dad's dead. And my in-laws, they're all in. So like, and our coaches' families are all in. So we're, you know, people probably think we're nuts. <laughs> so Yeah, speaking of all that, so so you're grateful for all that. So yeah. well, one last wrap-up. So who do you want to give any shout-outs to um, who puts you in the position you are now? Um, I mean, going into coaching, and be coach, to start coaching 24 years ago, you know, Coach Cohen and Coach Bell, they were the ones that hired me and started my, my whole, and they recruited me in high school at Salve. And then uh, our current staff, Coach Robichaud, Coach Sylvester, Coach Struthers, you know, Coach Faneuil, um, Coach Borden, Coach McCann, Coach Brown, you know, Coach Gendron, you know, our whole entire staff, they're awesome, man. I, I, you know, we've all been offered like higher level jobs and we got right to the wire and said, you know what? I'm not leaving, man. It's like that clip in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, one of my favorite movies. We always joke around the office about that. When the guy decides not to leave, we just play that on our group (laughs) me, that quick clip, and we just laugh, and the kids laugh. And, you know, and and our kids have been offered to leave. And, you know, the reason they stay is because they go, you know what? I freaking love each other here. Yeah, building something special. And so, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, I think, and I'm not saying like, you know, River says, well, you're just biased. So, well, kind of am, yeah, but (laughs) um, you can see what's happening. Yeah, I mean, you guys have had that turnaround for sure. And, um, you know, like I said, back-to-back champions. When Angel came on, he said expect big things in the offense. Hassan was uh, 
can't wait for next season. New York, prepare for next season as well. Excited. Make sure you definitely check out UMass Dartmouth and Dartmouth, obviously. Check out their games. They uh, have a high-powered offense. Their defense is legit as well. Make sure you follow my guy, Ryan, Ryan P. McCormick on Instagram. Um, any last words you want to say for the podcast? Um, well, no one recruits Rhode Island like us. <laughs> no one recruits Rhode Island. No one recruits Rhode Island like UMass Dartmouth. So, you know, he said, reach out to coaches, get that film ready, three to five minutes, proper grammar. And, uh, yeah, just be smart on social media. You know, there's, uh, you know, Rhode Island's building up, and I want to keep building Rhode Island football. If you guys enjoy this podcast, definitely reach out to me, reach out to Coach McCormick. And, um, yeah, there's big things coming from Rhode Island and big things coming from UMass Dartmouth this upcoming season. Make sure you follow your boy EG Pot of Thunder on all social media, XWRFF on all social media as well. And uh, thank you for coming and giving me some of your time. You know, appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, for sure, you're welcome. Make sure you follow everybody. Like I just said, let's get it, baby. Yeah, it's tough, though. The problem with